You're listening to Mastering Retention, presented by UserWise. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention podcast. Um, I'm Tom Hammond, uh, co-founder and CEO of UserWise and your host on Mastering Retention. I'm really excited to get to uh, meet with Alex Clark today from Nitro Games. Uh, we're, we're just going to be talking a lot about mobile shooters today. I, I feel like there's so much going on <laughs> related to shooters, and um, I, I think it's going to be a really entertaining uh, episode for anyone that is working on a shooter or thinking about working on a shooter uh, or you know, wondering what are some things that we can take from the shooter genre and apply to other genres. So uh, really excited to dive in. But uh, before I do, Alex, uh, something I always like to do with guests is you know, just to ask how did you get to where you are? How'd you get into gaming? What's your story? <laughs> um, wow, that is a that is a question. Um, oh blimey, how far do you go back when someone asks you something like that? <laughs> um, I think for me, I uh, I always knew that I wanted to make games. Um, my my mum bought me a like a Game Boy Color with Pokemon Silver, and that was it. I was hooked on. I was hooked in gaming. Um, I got my first. I got my first real sort of taste of game design at university, um, and then uh, it just completely fell in love with design from there. Um, it took a year after graduating. I started working in Edinburgh, and um, again on a mobile shooter project. Um, unfortunately, that project never released. But um, but after uh, after working there for about nine ten months. I, uh, I found myself in uh, Kotka, Finland, and um, once again working on mobile shooters. So, yeah, I guess that's the short form story. <laughs> that's great. Well, the real question is, did you catch the Red Gyarados? Always. <laughs> Always. I use the mask. I, I, I immediately caught that as soon as you get that. Um, oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I would always save right before it just to make sure that it didn't get away. And then... I don't know. I, I really, I don't know. Dragon Pokemon just seems so OP that I always tried to get as many as possible. It's, it's ridiculously overpowered. And it's level 30 when you get it. it like it just makes me <laughs> beat out of everything. It was beast. <laughs> yeah. and I, I think something that like the, the red Gyarados had is like it had an ability that even if you leveled up a regular Gyarados from a Magikarp, you wouldn't get because Gyarados learned it at like level 15 but Magikarp doesn't evolve at 20. If I remember right, it was like a thrash or something like that. And that made it like super extra valuable and something that game designers should apply. You know, having sometimes those like unique uh, variations of things can be super powerful, um, super meaningful to your players. No, definitely. Nice segue there. I'll admit, I didn't realize that the uh, that, that Gyarados specifically had something different, but, um, but yeah, no, you're right. An excellent segue. Um, the exclusive, Having something that's exclusive and extremely valuable to players, you're exactly right. Cool. So you've been working on shooters for about four years now. Um, Can we define, like, what is a mobile shooter? Um, I guess the the easy answer to that is, um, is it's a shooter game on mobile. Players, I guess... Players take control of the character in either third or first person, preferably with a ranged weapon of some kind. Um, and they have control of movement and and aiming, so say horizontal and vertical aiming. Um, the, reason, the reason I say horizontal and vertical is because I don't believe by Game Refinery's um, <coughs> designation that Brawl Stars from Supercell specifically counts as a shooter, even though I think that's about as close to a shooter as you can get without being a shooter by definition, apparently. I was I was literally about to ask you if Brawl Stars counted as a shooter and like where, where you draw the line at. Um, so that, that's good to know. Um, yeah, I think that would be that would be where I draw the line. It, it is about as yeah, about as stripped back as as you can get with a shooter. And then sort of as close to the line as you can get without being a shooter. So yeah. would you call some of those like sniper style games where you don't really move around as much still kind of in the shooter realm because you can aim around or is that you know would that fall into something different too no that's a good point um i believe they're specifically known as sniper shooters 
because you lose the the control of movement, but you do have like, as you say, like full control of aiming, or at least within a um, sort of like a certain range. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, something like Sniper 3D only enables you to really look, say, I think the range is about uh, 200 degrees. So you, you have an area, but you can't sort of explore yeah. that area too much. Try and focus focus you in on the target that you're aiming for. Dude with briefcase or a man in red shirt. Love it. That's great. Good good definition. <laughs> and I like the, the <laughs> Brawl Stars bit. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, thinking about shooters, um, I'm curious what your answers are here, but like, why do people like shooters on mobile? Like what, what is appealing about them? I think the, I think the big appeal is uh, essentially it's the competition. It's the excitement It is being able to have um, sort of in your back pocket, uh, an outlet to be competitive with, with other people. Um, I think that's a, that's a caveat for the most popular, most popular games of the genre, things like, Call of Duty Mobile, of course, but um, and PUBG and Fortnite. Um, I literally just listed off PC titles, but even things like Arena Free Fire and War Robots, they enable you to be competitive, test your skills against anybody, and um, you know, within five minutes of being on a bus or um, just being able to sort of crack it out between shifts. It's, uh, I think that's the big that's the big motivator in my eyes. It's really interesting. So would you say that a core piece of any sort of shooter has to involve multiplayer? Or do you see any sort of like single player type shooter experiences on mobile doing well? I think the ones that do the most well have an inherent social aspect to it, whether that's say um, playing together against sort of PVE elements, playing against something, or more commonly seen as the PvP. Um, with that said, though, I mean, as I say, the the tactical shooters, things like Sniper 3D, they they tend to focus more on a uh, more on single player. But I don't see them doing quite as well specifically in the shooter genre. Um, yeah, the, the multiplayer side of things is quite important, I think. Yeah, thinking about those social mechanics and things, like, is it really just about the competitive nature or um, do you see like guild type friend mechanics and playing together with your friends and stuff as kind of like a, a core tenant in shooters as well? I'd say it's pretty equal between both. To be honest. <laughs> I think it's just as important to a player as being able to test themselves against, against their friends, whereas also being able to test themselves with their friends. Um, mm. Some of the some of the longest retaining players are the ones that tend to play in groups. I think um, if you've got a squad of three of two other friends, you always play at five o'clock. You guys are going to get very very good together, and it's that team those team play elements play off of each other just as well as the as the competitive nature. As much as the competitive nature may be a player's first introduction to the game, though, for example. Um, I'm going to use Brawl Stars as a reference a lot, mate, even though it like draws, it draws the line. I've been looking at it a lot recently. Um, a player's first experience with, with something like Brawl Stars is always going to be, okay, it's me. I'm probably going to be facing against bots, um, but it's you against some form of opponent in a, in a, PV, in a PvP sort of simulated area. Mm-hmm. Um, when the social things come in later, you've already learned the mechanics, you've learned the way things go, and now you're sort of ready to take it to the more the more cooperative side of things where okay, check your corners, you're focusing on um, you're focusing on zoning, um, controlling points, um, more more of the more of the sort of team play aspects, I guess you would even see in an esports in an esports e-sports tournament. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'd say that equally is important to be fair. Both together and against each other are are important, but the social side of things very important. Mm-hmm. And definitely plays into that competitive aspect. Do you think that is, you know, the idea of like throwing you right into that competitive multiplayer thing right away is 
a good approach. Like I, I see that similar thing happen in uh, Clash Royale. Um, mm -hmm. Like, well, you first start playing against a bot, but very quickly, <clears throat> you know, as you're playing a match, you're against a real player or at least it, it seems to be a real player. It could still be a bot for a little while, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, are, are there other genres where something like this might be applicable? Like, you know, if I look at like a more of a casual puzzle type genre, like is there opportunities to add more of that competitive social aspect where, you know, like, I could steal something from the shooter genre and and apply it there because I think you you are on to something where that drive to test your skills against an opponent does lead towards better retention. I, you know, I even think about myself like why I stuck around with Clash Royale for a long time. And sometimes I would even play it when I didn't need like a chest or anything. It was like I just wanted to like see if I could beat somebody else, you know. Yeah, um, definitely. Again, sort of, yeah, just testing yourself against whatever opponent Clash Royale has got for you at that time. I think there are definitely, there are definitely ways you can add it in. I seem to remember, I can't remember the name of the game, but there was a, there was a match three puzzle game that attempted to bring in more of a, more of a, more PVP elements into, uh, into sort of the match three genre. Um, I can't remember, I can't remember how well it's doing at the minute. Um, it, you might be able to tell me the, the game. It, it added uh, diagonal movement as well. Um, they they did a few. Oh yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> I've seen yeah, it as like an example of failures with the diagonal movement. But um. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, maybe let's not focus too heavily on the diagonal movement. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think there are. Definitely I'm sure we we could track it down now. Um, Marvel Puzzle yeah. Quest is another one to be fair. That's a that's a good introduction of things. Um, again, another way for you to test, say, the heroes you've leveled up, how good you are at seeing those patterns and making the making extremely long lines to I, I don't know hit opponents three or four times. Puzzles and Empires does it as well. There are aspects mm. to it, but with with shooters, it's always built into uh, into the game at a core. The players introduced to the framework of it, even if they're just fighting bots, they're yep. always introduced to the framework of it from day zero. So um, I think there, I think there's definitely space for other genres to take that same kind of approach if the project was right. Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, I remember um, this was back a little while then, and it was sort of like one of those uh, fake marketing things. There's a company called, uh, I think it's like Vox Pop Me. Um, they do like recorded video market research type stuff. And they were showing off like something they did with King um, for Candy Crush Saga. And it showed little like glimpses of what the players were saying to like pull together the trends of showing off what they could do basically. Uh, but in, in there, um, all the players were like, I really want to play against my friends or like, I want to like, you know, see if I could beat my friends or something like that. So uh, mm -hmm. it just kind of caught me in there of like that competitive nature. You know, I wonder once you get past that, you know, are there other aspects? Because I think humans are very social beings at the core and, and incorporating those sort of uh, elements, I think can be powerful. Um, so that's super interesting to think about. Uh, so <clears throat> thinking about shooters again, okay. what kind of audiences like shooters and, you know, how do you figure out, like, if I wanted to make a new shooter, what audience I should be targeting for, or like, how do I build something for that? Um, you know, keeping in mind that there are games like Garena and Fortnite and all these other huge games with massive, massive budgets behind them and stuff. So like, how, how could I possibly even, you know, approach finding an audience and, and making something for them? It's, it's a big challenge to be fair, especially as you mentioned, sort of like the large scale budgets of things like, um, uh, COD Mobile, um, as you said, Garena Free Fire. The the challenge does often come with trying, almost trying to compete with uh, with a PC IP because they will naturally bring a, a large portion of their audience from the the PC love they've already had. Um, the way that I've always been looking at it has been uh, the the player motivators from uh, from Game Refinery. 
So the players, the, the audience you will normally get are the people that want to that want to climb ranks, that want to be better, that want to compete, as I said earlier, compete against players and emerge as the best. Um, you'll all, at least when I was working on uh, Heroes of Warlands, that seemed to be the uh, a very interesting development when it came to the audience. Um, we even had a couple of um, a couple of small esports teams pick up the game, and uh, from a very early basis, just trying trying to sort of get in early and kind of essentially get to that point of being on top before anybody had the opportunity of even competing against them. Um, in light of the game going big and then the others themselves going big too. Um, so you are normally going to find players that are going to care a huge amount about things like matchmaking time, the quality of the matchmaking, the, uh, the responsiveness of the uh, hit registration. So all of those things are really important. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess that would be, that would be my answer from an audience standpoint is not necessarily cut and dry, but it's, it's quite clear from the, uh, from the, ref from the references we've got of the games that are doing well in the genre. Yeah. Networkers and social players are, uh, come in as well, but it is, I'd say probably 25 to 30% would be those that are just looking for sort of like that competitive skill-based thrill. Mm. So if, if you and me were to start a company today, mm. making, that an offer? you know, shooters, <laughs> maybe I, I probably have too many projects going on, but I, I tend to like to start a lot of things. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> let, let's say we decide to, we want to make shooters for mobile, you know, what's our first step? Like, what is the, the right way to approach a new mobile game? So I guess the way that I would, the way that I would go about, say, fresh projects with, uh, with fresh IP would probably be to try and figure out what the feature difference would be. What are we, we going to offer that's going to be different as opposed to our competitors? Because, for example, if we go, um, if we go really realistic with, say, you know, a range of weapons you would expect to find in something like uh, Call of Duty or Medal of, Medal of Honor. Um, we're immediately going to be expected to have the best matchmaking in the world and the best hit registration, an extremely balanced game. And most of our money will come from um, cosmetics, which probably isn't the greatest thing to have on mobile. There's not a huge sort of space that we can fill with, say, a single feature or a way of twisting the gameplay somehow. Um, in order to get in order to get away with that, so I think it would definitely be how we're going to differentiate from a, from a single feature. What is that one thing we've got? Um, whether it's a more a more playful aspect of it, trying to reduce the skill based aspects and bring in more uh, more sort of random elements and strategy and tactics to think about, or um, do we want to focus more on say the size of the environments? Then we have the whole the wonderful tech side of things of how do we make a, I don't know, an eight football field sized map work on a mobile phone screen. But whatever that choice would be, I think we'd need to, we would need to find that and drill down into that pretty heavily because we're not going to be able to make Call of Duty mobile. <laughs> not with the number of people. Unless we hire a lot of people, I guess it depends how much the uh, budget of this hypothetical gives us. <laughs> you just got to believe in us, right? We got a great business going on. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> so do um, I move to the US or do you move to Finland? That's the question. <laughs> man, it's COVID. We, we got a remote company worldwide now, you know? <laughs> uh, okay. I see it. Forward thinking. I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, so... Thinking about that feature, though, is there a way that we could better validate what that feature should be? Like, should we be, you know, doing surveys or focus groups or something with like existing shooter players to understand like what is missing from current games before we just try to come up with a feature? Or you know, what's the best way to approach that? Because in my experience, usually when I come up with feature ideas, you know, I maybe write. 10 to 20% of the times at best, and usually those work out well, but 
you know, that, that's a lot of, of failures in there. And chances are pretty good that whatever feature we just come up with is going to fail to move the needle. So is there a way that we could better validate what that feature should be? Um, the way that the way that I've been tackling this in the past has been to essentially try and find something that appropriately differentiates us from the from say the top contenders. Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of mobile shooters at the minute, but a lot of the times, say for example, if we wanted to go um, to go for a tactical shooter, sort of less on movement, more on aiming, the easy competitors are the uh, your sniper 3ds um your more sniper based games um so it's finding out that it's fine it's being able to find those competitors and then sort of drill down into their communities and try and figure out the the things they like the things they don't like the, the things that are a bit more um should we say egregious that they deal with um so, and mainly that's by the way I've done that before has been playing the playing the game myself and then going through with Reddit and trying to figure out where they are, whether it's that, whether that's a forum or Reddit or something. Trying to trying to, I guess, to like get the idea of what they're doing based on the discussions that happen. I don't have a huge amount of experience specifically with say audience focus groups or things like that. It's it's always been more sort of finding the difference and then trying to get a prototype together to validate it as fast as possible with something like Playtest Cloud. Mm. That's yeah. how I've been working on it before. Cool. Whether that's the right or wrong approach, <laughs> not sure. But that's the way we've been looking at it. Have you ever tried a, a company like 12 Traits or is that more once you have the audience, it's a better way to understand your audience psychographically? From my experience, 12 traits normally comes in a little later in the uh, in the project lifecycle. Um, mainly, as you say, to sort of get a better understanding of the audience, um, of the audience that you have, as opposed to finding one. Although 12 traits are a relatively uh, a relatively modern company, with a, I'm sure they're working on something that will enable us to implement it a little earlier, <laughs> or they have it already, and I don't know. About it. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll let you know. I'm, I'm meeting with their CEO later this week. We're, <laughs> we're both fellow, fellow Midwestern uh, CEO, so it's a fun time. Um, so here's a game idea that I'm going to pitch to you that okay. I, I think I think would be fun. Um, so head-to-head, one-on-one sniper, sniper royale, let's call it. Um, and And what you do is you get like let's say 10 or 20 seconds where the opponent can't see where you're at. And we give you different uh, terrain where you can basically hide somewhere and you have to get as hidden as possible. Your opponent also hides and then you have to snipe each other and whoever, you know, hits each other first, you know, ultimately dies. Maybe we, we have a a little bit of a longer gun reset and uh, we, we leave like the barrel mark of, so like, if you miss the shot, your opponent's probably going to figure out where you are. Um, and so it's a combination of, you know, finding the right hiding spot and then figuring out how do I find my opponent, you know, before they find me. Um, okay. So it's two stage. So players initially have to move somewhere. And then when they found it, they need to, that's where they conceal themselves. And then they have to find their opponents out. Right. Yep. Yeah, kind of like the uh, the hide and seek game mode in uh, Call of Duty, right? Something like that. Yeah, that's brilliant fun. But okay, sounds interesting. Um, hmm. The it's reminding me. There's a game mode in um, one of these sniper games. Um, again, the, the game's name escapes me, and I'm going to kick myself later when I Google it. And um, they have something very similar, but it's a little it's a little more fast paced. And um, let's say, for example, there are two ferries next to each other. I'll always spawn on one ferry. You will always spawn on another. We don't move, but we always we always immediately go into zoom and we always have full control of aiming. So it's a case of, oh, you shot me. I respawn. I know where you are and I shoot you before you shoot me. And then it's whoever got the most kills. So it seems like a more slowed down tactical way of thinking in that sense right 
Yeah, you said tactical shooter, and that's what got my mind thinking about that. But um, okay, let, let's decide we want to maybe pursue this game. Like, what is the right next step? Like, should we try to talk to people? Like, do we need to just build a prototype and get it into playtest cloud? Like, you know, what's the next step from there? For me, I would focus on prototype and then playtest cloud. Um, because for example, there's a lot, there's a lot of questions with something like it. it's very different to, uh, to a lot of, it's all bringing together a few new elements. So it could be, for example, that we've found out that movement and the movement stage of the game slows it down too much. Um, and the best way to understand that is to, is to have it in hand on device and play it and find out. And, you know, when, I, when I've killed you 8, 10, 200 times, you'll realize. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think the best way to validate things like that is through prototyping. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's an interesting idea. I, I am sort of thinking it has a few similarities to things we've looked at in the past. So, um, so yeah, it could be an idea. You, yeah. You've heard it here first, guys. It's uh, the next one <laughs> you're coming out. 2023, let's go. <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah, and, and so, you know, in that prototype, you know, I it d- wouldn't have to be one-on-one. Like, it could be a five-on-five where you all hide and then you all try to, like, pick each other off um, as well. So, it, you know, it could turn into, like, a you know, 3v3, 5v5 type of uh, scenario to probably need a little bit of a bigger map, but... Um, probably, yeah, but no, definitely. I mean, the, the good thing with a concept like it is, as you say, it's expandable. Could always do it based <laughs> on game modes. One-on-one, 2v2, 4v4. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. But really, probably the best way is to get a playable prototype internally, play it, see, like, does it feel right? And once you get to the point where like, yeah, this feels right, this is pretty fun, that's maybe the stage that you try to get to the, the playtest cloud or um, d- do you believe in the idea of like building a game alongside an audience? Like, you know, talking on Reddit, hey, we're going to be doing this thing, join our Discord and like play pro, you know, prototypes and stuff. Like I see a lot of indie devs do that with PC type titles and stuff, but like, do you think that is useful with, you know, developing a mobile shooter too? Um, I think as a, I think as a concept, I really like as a player, I really like it. I really like when, uh, when say an indie game goes and they create the audience as they're developing the game. I think that's the most authentic way to, uh, to build an audience around, around an upcoming project. Um, although admittedly with that said, I don't have any experience actually seeing that work in a, in a mobile shooter standpoint. Um, I guess a lot of the time it would be things like, assuming that it was a brand new, a brand new IP and the, the company has full, um, full control, it's in a way you can almost guarantee that someone will come and play it. Um, whether there'd be a need to build the, build the game around the audience at the same time, I don't know if you'd need to go so full into it. Um, but doing things in the right stages, I think, is the best way to think about it. So I think, yeah, take the feature that you want. Prototype it internally until you're happy. Stick it on Playtest Cloud and make sure that the that the prototype is actually fun. And, and then it just comes down to making sure you've got the quality in the core loop up and get it out into soft launch and see from that. Mm. My big experience comes from say, or like the majority of my experience comes from projects going through a process like that and then getting UA and bringing in players and seeing how long they can stick about for. Yeah. So I guess I don't know. Tough question. Sorry. Oh, I was gonna, I was gonna say that that all makes sense, but I was gonna say at what point would we kill the project? Like, you know, when do we decide this isn't the right game to make? It's always a difficult question to answer, isn't it? (laughs) Um, I 
think it depends on the it depends on the situation around the around the project, which is a, quite a wishy-washy answer. But um, for example, we get it to Playtest Cloud, and I don't know. Let's say that um, it's a slog. Players aren't enjoying it. Players are telling us that it's exactly the wrong thing that they're. For example, the hiding aspect is the bit that they really don't want to do, and they just want to walk over to people and shoot them. Um, then I guess the decision comes from there as to whether you want to keep making it or pivot entirely. Uh, kill the game, sorry, or pivot it into something different. So from there, I think it, you could make a strong case for killing the game at Playtest Cloud stage. Um, but then that all comes down into pre-production. If you make it to production and go through, then soft launch would be the one that determines whether or not the game continues. Um, yeah, which again is even harder because you've spent a lot of time working on it. But yeah. So how much time and what sort of team size and, and, and folks are we going to need to get to, you know, each of these stages? So, you know, if we're working on the prototype stage, like who needs to be on the team in terms of like skill set and stuff and how long would it take to like get that prototype up? Um, good question. So I think from a, from a prototyping stage, you can come up with a lot of, especially if you're pivoting from something that you've already made before, you could probably get quite a few, quite a few interesting concepts and, and sort of prototype systems um, with a team of, say, five people, a um, couple of programmers, an artist or two, and um, and probably one designer to try and keep things a bit more knit around the uh, around the pro prototypes. Depending on say if it's a totally fresh IP or you have some kind of uh, external brief constraints, let's say. Um, so I'd say so I'd say you could get something pretty decent with around a team of five. Um, in terms of time. Um, I don't know how long would you like to give us. Um, the more time you have, the, the more the more interesting things you can explore. Um, yeah. it, it all depends on how much how much the product, how much <laughs> how much production time you actually have to pay for. I guess um, you could probably do things in a couple of months. You could all you could also do some more interesting things in a few more. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's something that I struggle with a lot, and I think pretty much every mobile game CEO struggles with. Uh, not everyone has the luxury of supercell and being able to spend, you know, two years iterating on a product ID and, and re rewriting, you know, your your meta and your backend three times as they did with uh, Brawl Stars. But yeah, definitely. Uh, obviously, it worked for them. <laughs> um, Eventually, but, it did. Yes. But yeah, you know, some teams only have two, four months. Obviously, a shooter game is a little bit more intense than something, so maybe we have a little bit longer, or we should. But uh, you know, definitely interesting to to think about. Um, mm. well, that's interesting. Um, at what point is like should we be thinking about? Well, I I think game economy is very important to a game. Uh, I think it can kill and ruin a game experience if it's not done right. I also think it's critical and core to your monetization. Um, yeah. But I, I also think those things are kind of relative to, is it fun? Um, so when would the right time be to think about adding monetization into that as well as the, the game economy design? So the way I've been looking at it before has been to focus on things like that as soon as the, as soon as the core is interesting. So for example, the projects I'm working on at the minute, um, we spent a lot of time, say, balancing the weapons and um, making sure that the length of game time that we wanted was feeling relatively great. Not perfect by any stretch, but, you know, feeling feeling good to get that good feeling now. And then as soon as you get that, it's like, okay, so what happens after five games? What happens after 20? Um, and then you try and create essentially the path of progression. The Brawl Stars equivalent would be the trophy road to say what players want to get and when and how long that goes through and what does does it feel good 
And then once that that kind of progression core that you're happy with, when you've got that, then it's a lot easier to translate that into an overall game economy for things like how often you want things to come out of gacha boxes and how many gacha boxes you want a player to open in a day. I think it's important, you're right, to get it in early and it's extremely important for the core, but the progression and the things that a player gets has to feel good because otherwise you'll end up with something like either too stingy or too generous. I give you 5 million silver, but you have no idea what to really do with it. And it's just, okay, I've got this thing. Or I give you three and you're like, well, I've got to play three hours before I get any more. So <laughs> I'd say it depends on what feels good from a player progression standpoint. And of yeah. course, the big, the big question as well is, do you want to reward players for just playing or just winning? What does that, what, how does that create a, what does that create in terms of a progression code? Mm. It all comes down to how the player progresses through the game and what they get and when, in yeah. my opinion. Cool. Uh, another question, mm-hmm. which uh, I feel like is, is super important, um, but it's this concept of mastery in games. So, you know, mm-hmm. players want to feel like as I'm playing, I'm getting more competent. Um, I'm doing better. Um, in some ways, you know, games like Candy Crush Saga can fake it or give the illusion of mastery and competence, right? You know, as you go up in levels, you're like, oh, like I'm, I'm getting better because I'm at level 100. But technically, level 100 could be easier than level 50. You have no way of knowing. And I might even slap on like a hard or a super hard sign and you might beat that easily and you feel really good about yourself. But like it could have just been a really easy level, right? Um mm-hmm. But players like this idea of competence and, you know, after they did it, oh, great job, three stars, you're awesome. Um, oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. But I think um, in, in other games, especially competitive PvP-type games, um, I, I think mastery can look a little bit different. But I see a lot of devs struggle with, like, how do I actually add mastery into my game? Um, so, you know, take, like, Rocket League. Um, if you look at their... Their, their mastery type stuff for under d- day 14 retention, you're trying to just like hit the ball, um, maybe do some goalkeeping, um, figure out movement and how do people even flip and like, how do I, you know, do anything? Um, mm-hmm. How do I use oh, yeah. boost? Uh, and then maybe you look at like mid game retention, like under day 45, you add things like aerial movements like actually having a position and like playing together as a team, being able to like carry the ball, get around people, get down and like actually shoot the ball. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. And then it leads up into yeah. doing aerials and, yeah. you know, the sort of wall. like the crazy goals where you're, you're flying from one end of the map to the other and cross yep. it in. Exactly. That's like your, you know, day 180 retention type stuff, which is the flying, the advanced team coordination, walls and roof and you know all sorts of crazy things um but that's you know is that something that as a designer in a game that you should be planning out in your like shooter games of like okay so our our base game is just shooting each other with you know sniper rifles and stuff but like for our mid-game stuff uh you know advanced use of like obstacles and stuff like oh if i hide behind X, Y, Z, like I can actually, you know, spoof them out. You know, maybe we could introduce the concept of uh, putting like dummy rifles and, you know, dummy targets to like draw their attention, um, you know, and, and how you effectively do that and figure out if it's a real person or not. Uh, late game, I, I don't know. But, you know, are these the types of things that we should be thinking about and when should we be thinking about them? It's really interesting. Um, the idea of dummy targets and dummy rifles is a is a solid one. I think we should stick to that. Um, but it comes down to depth in mechanics, right? Um, and especially for something as skill based as a competitive, especially a competitive PvP shooter, it's extremely important. If there isn't any depth to it, you won't get past that day fourteen retention. Um, in a way, especially for especially for a, a mobile shooter, I'd say you need to be thinking about that very, very early on. Um, you don't necessarily need to have, for example, um, 
say the dummy targets, the ricocheting bullets, <laughs> the um, uh, I don't know, the, the orbital stinger missile from above. All of those are say additional features and powers and things like that. But it's um, where are the best places I can position myself? Um, can I make use of say um, the environment to trick my opponents? Uh, can I shoot a tree and a branch falls off? Um, it's it, it comes down to depth mainly for the mechanics that you have, and that is extremely important. You can't always solve it just by adding, say, ten different features. It's mainly about can I become better as I play? And with let's take for example um, Call of Duty. A first person is a, is a very core game. They're very complicated in the grand scheme of things. You have to control where you're moving, where you're looking, and where you are in relation to the map as a whole. And you have to try and remember where your opponents are. There's a lot involved that a player is thinking about constantly. So just introducing them into scenarios where they can learn things like that gradually is already really good. So it's just making sure that the environments are interesting to use um, and to play in and make sure that your shooting mechanics have enough depth. That's the the main thing, I think. Mm. It's really interesting. What is the best way to introduce a, a player to the, you know, in like a first time user experience, you know, thinking about shooters, like how do you effectively do that? Um, I, I think about the first time that I played Halo with some friends. Now, mm-hmm. mind you, this was after we'd played paintball. And I was I was pretty good that day. I tore him up pretty good. But we played Halo <laughs> for the first time. Okay. You know, so we were out at this guy's farm, day of paintball, then we came in and we all played Halo. And uh, yeah, I, I just remember spawning and seeing a sniper bullet go through my head and just dying over and over again. I don't know if they were just like, you know, getting back at me for what I did to them before, or, or you know, I was just a really easy target, no idea what's going on, but man, I I got smoked. Um, So I I wouldn't say that was the best first time user experience for me in terms of Halo. Um, Makes a lot of sense, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) uh, But, you know, thinking about mobile shooters, like what is a good, first-time user experience and, and how do you incorporate that in? I, I often say the the goal for me in a first-time user experience more than anything is that like how do I connect emotionally or connect them emotionally with this game such that it you know is closer to becoming a part of like their everyday life? Mm, no definitely it's um I agree, I agree with your approach to be honest on that front um it's important to create it's important for players to feel like a boss when the, the, on the very first day they pick it up. Yep. If you're getting sniper bullets in the head the second you spawn, you're probably going to churn. You're not going to pick the game up again. So um, tip one would be to reduce the, uh, a, an opponent's ability to do that to a day zero player. Um, I think in a way it does, it does kind of depend on the projects, like how to create those, like... I'm, the, I'm a boss moments. Um, and uh, admittedly, a, a, a big kind of reference uh, reference in my mind for this is, um, is uh, crit- have you played Critical Ops by any chance? Played just a little bit of it. Yeah. It's, um, it's, for those that haven't played, it's, um, it's essentially uh, Counter-Strike on mobile. It's a very, very core um, FPS. Mm-hmm. Made it made extremely well. So it's it's a great game. But it, their first time user experience is they focus you on being able to in, on showing you all the things you can do. So you have this obstacle course that you run through of like pick up guns, shoot that target, turn this corner, go here. They're introducing you to how touch screen shooter controls work because they they give you everything: jumping, aiming, um, aim down sights as well, zooming all sorts of things they need to teach you. COD Mobile does something very similar as well. Um, but then the first game they drop you into is totally bots. And the bots are specifically designed to put you in a scenario where you're going to feel really cool. 
So they bunch up <laughs> a little bit so you can take two or three of them out at a time. <laughs> and they'll damage you, but they won't quite take you out so you can feel like you've made a comeback. Um, a PC example is Gears of War. Um, I can't remember exactly which Gears it was, but um, when a player played their first 20 games, for example, they actually had more health and did more damage and reloaded slightly faster. So even though they were playing against real players, they had just a little bit of an advantage to try and create those moments of like, oh, I feel really good. And I think admittedly those mechanics were then told to the players a few months later and players were livid and they absolutely hated it. (laughs) I think there is a level of that that's important. a lot of game design, especially FTV designers, um, is in a way a bit of smoke and mirrors to try and create these moments of like, you know, the moments where you can create an emotional connection. And um, and yeah, being able to facilitate that is important. But in a way, it does need to start with, okay, you move forward now, you can turn this and you can turn this. And Because again, shooter controls on mobile are difficult to get used to if you've not had the chance to do so before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one thing, you know, when I, I downloaded uh, COD Mobile um, and I, I played it for the first time, they brought me into the multiplayer match, which was kind of cool that they had like the, the two screens and it's hard to like do the wrong thing with the thumb. Like I, I've seen a lot of controls go really wrong, but I, I felt like it was quite natural on, on COD Mobile. But yeah, I got into that first game and I, I came out as MVP with like, I don't know, 11 of the 20 kills. and I. I almost shot a message to my friend who works on COD Mobile and I'd be like, those are bots, weren't they? Like, they looked like people's names, but like, that that couldn't have been real. <laughs> Could almost guarantee that they were bots to yeah, create yeah. that, that moment. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's important because because it, it's also down to things like how long it takes to get into the game, how long it takes to find all those players. Um, I obviously can't speak the numbers that um, COD Mobile would get, but I don't know how strong their CCU is. Can they pull 20 players out of the ether for you to play a game with in a second? I mean, they probably get a lot of players, so in some cases, maybe, but... So that also perfectly ranked to your skill? I'm not sure. Yeah, that, that was actually one of my last questions. Um, <laughs> well, I'm sorry for beating you to it. <laughs> well, well, it's not quite there. So, uh, cool. Like, we've made a game seems like it works like players like it on playtest cloud when they do the real-time test together um how do you actually launch a shooter in an rts i think this is one more than anything else i see people of having this challenge of how do i possibly handle matchmaking in a way that is pleasant for players because you got like the chicken and the egg right if there's not enough players to match it with that's a you're not getting the experience at all. Um, but, you know, how, how do I get up enough scale such that players actually have stuff where they can get into those matches quickly? Um, so, you know, what does that look like? And is there a certain threshold or number that you, you know, need to be able to effectively launch a game and have at least a, a decent experience? That is admittedly <laughs> one of the biggest challenges that... Uh, <laughs> The mobile shooters face, especially on say things like soft launch, limited launches. Um, I don't think, to be honest, that there's a golden bullet ratio of um, of you need this amount of CTU and everything's great. It depends on the project. For example, let's take Brawl Stars is a good example because it's got multiple game modes. So let's say that we we launch a game and there are three modes you can play. You can play one v one sniper, find out. Uh, find opponents, sorry, um, 2v2 and 5v5. Um, assuming that they are all both equally as fun um, and, you know, require the same number of players. I know they're 1v1, 2v2, but for example's sake, yeah. um, you're still only going to get a third of your players at max if they're perfectly balanced to be in all of them at once which means you're going to need three times the number of players to populate that game than you would if the game only had one game mode. (laughs) So it does depend on what you're offering. Um, And the solution that I admittedly have been trying to play with so far has been 
introduce good bots. Because a lot of the time when players, the motivation the players have to play a shooter is to come along and defeat someone. And if they're specifically looking to play with friends and things like that, then I think they've retained long enough to deal with a slightly longer matchmaking time. But a lot of the times when I play Brawl Stars or when I play COD Mobile, I just want to get into a game really fast. So putting in some good bots that are strong enough to essentially play as real players and can really help from a game that's being launched. And if you have, say, dynamic matchmaking that can um, that looks for players for a certain amount of time and then just fills the slots with bots afterwards, eventually when your CCU hits a point of being strong enough to fully populate a game of 10 players or five players or however many you have, then the bots kind of get organically phased out. Um, but then they're there whenever you need them. Because again, let's say the game scales and the game's doing great and we have, I don't know, 8 million players in the US, for example, which would be a dream. Um, <laughs> but we have like nine in Finland. The players in Finland are still going to kind of want to enjoy it. In order, and in order, to, in order to scale within that region, then it needs to be. So yeah. good bots. I guess that's a pretty naff answer for a player, but <laughs> strong bots. Yeah. I like that. That's really good. <laughs> well, we're we're almost out of time here, so I have one last question, which is the okay. unofficial question that I ask everyone. But uh, what's one <laughs> tip or trick you've learned over the years for uh, increasing player retention? Because it is the Mastering Retention podcast, of course. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think from my admittedly limited experience on live games, um, it's make sure the player's core experience is the best it can be. And specifically for shooters, I've seen a lot of people churn on games that have been slow paced, poor hit registration, or having some issues in some way. If you can tidy up that core in such a way that is, that it doesn't matter when you play, like your matchmaking is going to be good. You're going to get in, you're going to get into a game of good quality relatively quickly. And that that is kind of underpins and um, strong retention in a mobile shooter in my opinion it's, it's very easy to drop a game and move over to something like garena free fire or cod mobile that have a lot of people working on matchmaking and netcode <laughs> and things like that yeah. so if you can if you can keep that strong then you are you are much more likely to retain players cool well it seems great. like a bit of a wishy-washy one but that's what I'd say. <laughs> Even in hyper casual games, like I've heard of like just making the core action just like smoother or more seamless, increase day one retention for them by like, you know, two, three percent, which is pretty huge for a gamer with already like 50 percent, you know, day one retention and such. So um, I, I think that's a lesson that we can all use of like you can you don't need all those fancy features. Like sometimes it's just about making the core gameplay better for players. No, definitely. And that's that's at least worked for us so far. And I'm hoping that it will continue to work for us in the future. <laughs> Love it. Well, Alex, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining me. And I hope we can have you back sometime. No, thank you very much for having me. It's been a it's been a pleasure being on. Thank you for yeah, thank you for the opportunity to come and say hi and talk about video games for an hour. It's good fun. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. All right, we'll see you soon. Sounds good. Take it easy.